Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just a warning. This episode details the death of a young man for which no one has ever been convicted. A person of interest in the case was acquitted from the charge of murder and manslaughter in 2009. This interview is with the deceased father, and it is his memories and point of view. Matthew Levison was last seen leaving the Ark nightclub in Surrey Hills about 2.10am on the 23rd of September 2007. Welcome to this episode of Investigates. I'm your host, April Glover. Today, we will be exploring an extraordinary story of lies, deceit, suspected murder, and the power of a parent's love. It's a case which most people who live in Sydney, Australia, might remember. It's the case of Matthew Levison. Let's go to Sydney now, where police are still at a bushland location south of the city, where bones believed to be the remains of missing man Matthew Levison were found yesterday. Back in 2007, Matthew Levison was a 20-year-old man living in Sydney. Matt was a much-loved member of his family. Blonde-haired and blue-eyed, he was always the life of the party. At the tender age of 20, Matt, or Matty as his parents Faye and Mark fondly call him, was just beginning to explore his own identity. I knew um, that whenever there was a family get-together, birthday, family crisis, he was always there. Matt was gay and in a relationship with a much older man, Michael Atkins, who was 44 at the time. On September 23, 2007, Matt and his boyfriend went to a nightclub in the Sydney suburb of Darlinghurst called Ark. After a long night partying and just after a fight with Michael, Matt left the club and he was never seen again. He was reported missing by his parents a couple of days later and his vehicle was found in the Sutherland area on the 27th of September 2007. Mark and Faye reported their son missing when he didn't show up to his job at a call centre. This was unlike Matty, they said. He loved his job. He loved his life. So where was he? We've spoken to Mark, Matt's father. Mark loved his son so much and never believed for a second that Matt would leave his family on his own accord. He knew something terrible had happened. We see Matt's friends, you know, Matt's wonderful, loyal friends who are all growing up and growing older. Yet Matt's frozen at 20. This is part one of our conversation about Matthew Levison. Just a side note, Mark never refers to Michael Atkins by name. Also, if you've got kids around, just a warning that there is strong language. Could you please describe your son Matt to me? What was he like and what do you remember about him? Faye and always describe Matt as a, as a fun-loving person, the life of the party, and, and that's pretty easy because it's just so accurate. He was always so full of life and uh, the biggest smile in the room usually. You can see that in photos. He's got such a huge 
charismatic smile and it's really infectious. Was he an infectious type of person? Yeah, he was. And, uh, you know, that smile that you can see in photos, that tended to diminish as the years went on or months went on living with Atkins. He was getting to the point where he was feeling trapped in a relationship that he wanted to get out of. And uh, we have heard from Matt's work colleagues, he was going to work to, uh, well, going to work, going to the club that last Saturday to tell Atkins, uh, I've had enough. Yeah. He was controlling, you mentioned, in, in what ways? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, controlling in terms of uh, not letting him be his free spirit, um, even as far as trying to push Matt into threesomes with other with other men and uh, at inquest going as far as saying that was Matt's idea, yet when there's evidence to the contrary that Atkins is pushing Matt towards that, which he wouldn't do. And I know you and your wife and Matt's siblings didn't really get along with Michael when you first met him. Did he have much to do with your family at all? Well, yeah, we we had because he was Matt's partner, so we had him have to our place for uh, for barbecues and meals, and uh, mm-hmm. we could not because he was Matt's partner. And uh, he, but the kind of person in conversation, he wouldn't open up. Or, or he was very guarded in what he would tell you, and uh, uh, very shallow in his conversation. He wouldn't give you much detail other than the weather or how his work was going. Mm. I'm sure you just wanted Matt to be happy as well, so you were more than willing to try and welcome this man into your life. But I guess well, there Matt's, were red flags. Matt's yeah, Matt's a strong-willed adult, so. Um, mm. If we'd have said to Matt, we don't like him, Matt might have said to us, well, fine, okay, thanks a million either. So we didn't want that to, that to occur. So we, we accepted Atkins for, for Matt's sake. Of course. I mean, Matt was only 20 years old and at the time Michael was 45. Is that right? That, did that raise any alarms to you, the, the big age gap? Almost. All the young boys thought he was much younger than that because he was uh, heavily Botoxed, uh, a lot of black hair dye. Uh, he was buffed from the gym and... Um, yeah, all the young, he would never let the other boys see his license or any identification. Mm-hmm. Even to the point <clears throat> where the night we went to report Matt missing at the police station, the young constable at the counter asked Faye and I our, our stats, our, our name, age, address, etc. And um, when I asked Atkins for that same detail, Atkins had it all pre written on a piece of paper and slid across the counter. Mm-hmm. He wasn't prepared to say his age out loud, but my even though, even though I wear glasses, I could still see what he wrote on a bit of paper at birthday the sixth, the fourth, sixty three. Mm-hmm. So we knew that um, yeah, back at that stage he was forty four. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So Matt went missing on September twenty third, two thousand and seven. What, what was the last time you saw him, and what happened? <clears throat> We saw Matt about two weeks prior to that, uh, that that night, but Matt wasn't living at home, and we saw Matt at a friend's 21st birthday party. And um, they were late getting there because Atkins was saying, oh, Matt took a while to get ready. But we've, we've since heard that the, that the reason they were late was because they were fighting, and uh, Atkins didn't want to go. Now, part of his controlling was he was trying to cut Matt off from family and friends, and um, so Atkins didn't want to attend the party, but Matt, Matt had known this, this person that, had the party since he was a child so he wanted to be there and, and he was mm. and matt of course was extremely close to this family wasn't he like that that's not something that he would ever do cut ties with you very much that's right and uh, yeah fail always say on those in those last few weeks and that, and that last night at the party as well yeah the, the goodbyes she was getting bigger longer hugs from matt because uh, uh almost like he almost like he didn't want to leave didn't want to go mm. and it, that must feel a little bit bittersweet it's like it's it's good that you held him that much tighter the last time you saw him yes oh, of course that's a small consolation but you know you just don't know what's ahead and uh, hindsight's a great thing but you, you can't use that all the time that party was the last time Mark and his wife Faye would ever see their son Matty. As Mark tells us, they hugged their son just a little bit tighter, held him just that little bit closer. 
They had no idea it was the last time they'd ever get to hold their dear boy. Just two weeks later, on September 23rd, 2007, Matt vanished. They told the police and filed a missing persons report. And now, it was a waiting game. When did you report Matt as a missing person? Matt's working week was Tuesday to Saturday. He worked in the RMA call centre at, um, at Hurstville. And so Matt's weekend was normally Sunday, Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt was not due to work until to go to work until Tuesday after the, the clubbing on the weekend. And um, our youngest son, Jason, was at home ill uh, on the Tuesday and uh, he happened to ring, or actually Faye rang him to see how he was. And um, he mentioned to Faye that um, Matt's work called to see why he wasn't there on the Tuesday morning, which was odd because he loved that job and uh, it was strange that he, if he wasn't there, he wouldn't have called to say why he was late. We were concerned and tried to call Matt but couldn't get any response. And then Jason let us know that there had been a second call from Matt's work. So we were more concerned then and started ringing around Matt's friends that we knew of and tried to call Atkins as well. And Atkins said he was spread the word and didn't know at that stage where Matt was. But as we, the word spread, there was still no responses, so we are getting more and more concerned. And into the evening, um, we decided to go to the report him missing at the police station at Sutherland. So Atkins took a lot of convincing. You know, I, I rang him and said, listen, we're going to the police station to report Matt missing. You were the last person to see him on the weekend that we know of, you make sure you're there. So he came along reluctantly at the police station and uh, he'd let us know, I can't recall at what point it was, that on the weekend they had a bit of a tiff and uh, Matt took off and he told the, the police at the uh, the first reporting that they been missing that uh, uh, Matt could have gone to, to out on the Sunday night with other friends. And uh, in due course, those friends denied ever seeing Matt at all. And uh, at the time, Atkins last saw Matt seeing him in the unit on the Sunday afternoon, then it was Sunday morning, then it was Sunday evening. The change, time kept mm. changing. So then on the Tuesday, we went with, with the police station. On the Wednesday, Faye was dealing with police at Sutherland again. Detectives there asking more questions, stay over the phone. Uh, on the Thursday, we were asked to go down to the police station at Miranda. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a long interview with the detective at Miranda. And, uh, uh, they told us that's the conclusion of the interview that uh, we, can, we can tell you this now, uh, Matt's abandoned car was found this morning. Uh, we couldn't tell you before the interview in case it tainted what you were saying, uh, but his car was found just locked up normally in, in, in the park at Sutherland, Waratah Park there and Waratah Oval, and uh, uh, there's no signs of any, you know, any problems in that. There's no blood, there's no struggle, just the, just the car locked up at the, at the Oval. And... Um, what we didn't know was the car had been found that morning and the the ground staff at the park had uh, told police was there and was a no missing vehicle because we'd be told what Matt's car looked like and uh, they went down swiftly in the car and uh, found in the boot of the car a receipt from Bunnings at Tarran Point which had on it the receipt for purchase of a um, matic and cloth tape. The receipt was inspected and on the receipt was Atkins' thumbprint. Uh, so they rushed down to Tarrant Point this on the Thursday afternoon, I'm, I'm guessing while we were still in the, in the, in the police station, and um, got a very good quality CCTV footage from Bunnings. And on there was Atkins arriving at Bunnings roughly 12 o'clock, 12 midday on the Sunday, and leaving about 12.07 carrying a matic and cloth tape. And in the afternoon, whilst we were at the police station, they asked Atkins to come down to the police station, also to, not as a suspect, but to help 
out looking for Matt, which he volunteered. He said, yes, of course I will. So he, he said, I'm, I'm busy working at Girawain, mm-hmm. which is where the head of his company was. But what he didn't know was the police were already surveilling him after what they found in the car. And he's actually working at a new coke plant at Northmead, which is half as far from Miranda as Girawain was. Mm-hmm. He said it would take him about two hours to get to the police station. Well, in fact, he when he left the uh, coke plant at Girawain, he rather than get straight to the police station, as he was asked to do, he went straight to the unit mm-hmm. and uh, got out of the car at the unit uh, wearing one work boot and one sneaker. No one knows why and no one's been able to find out. When he got out of the car, he saw police there waiting for him. He realised there was police behind him who'd followed him from his work. And um, he got all fate and he had to be helped to the ground to, uh, to settle himself. Uh, he was then taken straight to the police station where he was interviewed after Faye and I finished at about 7.30 on the Thursday night. By September 27, four days after Matt was last seen, the investigation turned up its first clue. Matt's green 1999 Toyota Corolla was found abandoned outside of a public toilet at Waratah Park Reserve in Sutherland, 31 kilometres away from where he was last seen. As police probed further, they found a receipt in the boot of the car. It was from Bunnings, a hardware store in Tarrant Point, and Michael Atkins' fingerprints were all over it. After more investigating, they uncovered CCTV footage of Atkins purchasing a mattock, a small tool used for digging, and some duct tape. It was then police and Matt's parents knew they weren't looking for Matt alive. They were now looking for a body, and Atkins was the prime suspect. Well, the, in, in this first week, it, well, you know, even after the interview with the police on the Thursday, we still had some hope, but after talking to homicide, they were convinced that uh, uh, Matt wouldn't be found alive. Was that mostly because of the car and the contents of the car, what they found inside? I, I don't know what caused their summation for that because there's some, some of the intel we don't get to see and hear all the time. We've got a yeah. great deal, but we don't see all of it. But, um, yeah, having a, a matic, to the, which is obviously to dispose of a body and cloth tape the tie remains up, is pretty telling. The fact they're arguing, uh, last seen leaving the club, not quite together. Um, they weren't in good mood when leaving the club. So all those things. And, and, and of course, so what's important too is the text messages as well. Do, do you know about those? I do a little bit, but can you d- describe them for me? I can. May I swear on the podcast? Mm. So if, if I can, I'll see what, what was on this. Okay. I'm paraphrasing, but when the, on the way home from the club, Matt's friends were, were concerned for him. So one of Matt's mates was checking and saying, how are you? Are you okay? And uh, Matt responded along the lines of... Um, the fucking cunts make me go home. He's got to get out of himself. And then later on, Matt's friend responded, um, oh, you'll be okay. And uh, Matt's will get in the response. And then his friend responded back to Matt. But Matt was never heard from again after that. Mm. So obviously they weren't in good moods going home. Mm. And uh, to this day, you know, we, we don't even know um, <clears throat> whether Matt was killed in the car going home. Um, he was killed at the unit when they got there. It's impossible to say. Even the coroner herself altered Matt's death certificate from Canola to Sydney to cover the whole area because it's just unknown. The more police looked into Matt and Atkins' relationship, the more suspicious it seemed. The night Matt disappeared from Ark, they had a fight and there were text messages to prove it too. Police also just couldn't forget about Atkins' suspicious Bunnings purchase. Not only that, 
A boombox from Matt's car had been removed and it was later found in the garage of the home they shared. But months flew by and there were no more clues. No body, no Matt, no arrests. But finally, on August 5th, 2008, nearly a whole year since Matt went missing, there was a breakthrough. Michael Atkins was arrested and charged with the murder of Matthew John Levison. During the course of the trial, because the distinction between murder and manslaughter is the intent. Did you intend to cause serious personal harm or kill? That's the distinction between murder and manslaughter. And through the course of the trial, Justice Hidden uh, made the point to the prosecutor that although it was a murder trial, uh, Atkins could be convicted on manslaughter too. So maybe it's convinced the jury might see intent, but uh, he was convinced Atkins had a handy match death, but they'll get him on, on manslaughter. And um, after the six weeks of evidence, the jury were out. The first few hours they were out, they came back into court and said, Your Honour, we can't reach a verdict. And the, the judge said, Look, you're kidding. You've been at two hours to get back to work. Don't come back for until you had a really serious good look at all this. So um, after about a day and a half, two days, another, they came back with another question. Your Honour, can you please define for us, in layman's terms, the distinction between murder and manslaughter? And uh, the... Um, the judge said, well, you know, it's, I just mentioned it, it's the intent component of the crime. Um, and about a day or two later, they, they, they come up with another question. Um, you know, well, Your Honour, um, we still can't reach a verdict. And he said, uh, at that point, he gave them what's called the, the black direction. Mm-hmm. That allows the jury to find a, um, a verdict on majority. So it needn't be 12 nil. Uh, they can find it on 11-1. Mm-hmm. And if it was 11-1, the court needn't be told how it was done. As long as they got that 11-1 or 12 nil, the the, uh, the judge would accept the, the verdict. And not long after that, that instruction to the jury, uh, they came back with their verdict. The wait was agonising for Mark, Faye and Matt's two brothers. It took another whole year for the case to be brought to trial. And in the meantime, Matt was still missing. Where was his body? That was the burning question. It broke their hearts that they couldn't properly lay their son to rest. The trial officially began on September 3rd, 2009. A key piece of evidence, a recording of a police interview with Atkins where he denied the purchases at Bunnings, was ruled inadmissible. Police had not told him he was a suspect at the time. Atkins refused to speak at the trial. He didn't even look the Levisons in the eye. And on October 20th, 2009, the jury had reached their verdict. Not guilty. How did you react to this verdict? It's, it was disappointing, well, the, to say the least, of course. Our, our, our lead police detective was vomiting. Um, uh, she was in total shock. Um, our prosecutor uh, was, was tri- sh- shivering and trembling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just all of the above. We were just beyond beyond disbelief. Uh, the, we couldn't couldn't understand how they could reach that verdict. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to this day, I say, if ever any of those jurors which we can't, you can't, that can't be approached by law, but if ever any, any of them was wondering to discuss what went on, they can approach us if they chose to mm-hmm. and let us know what went on in that deliberation room. Mm-hmm. I, I can say that um, this is, this is uh, uh, whilst our case was on, in the very next court was the case for Diane Brimble, the lady was who died on the cruise ship. Mm-hmm. And their case started off about, about two weeks after ours, but they concluded about the same time and the juries were out at the same time as well. And I was talking to the media outside that court and they said they could hear a great deal of yelling and screaming coming out of the jury area, but they couldn't tell whether it was the Brimble jury or our jury. Mm. You can take a guess. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. So after that verdict was reached, you guys were just left with nothing. You didn't have Matt's body. You didn't have any justice no, served. Yeah, no justice, no conviction, no yeah. body, nothing. So we were just in shock. We were just in, in limbo for quite some time because what, what do you do? Where do you go? It's just not, not anything that we're experienced in. So we were just um, dumbfounded for the time being. We really, really were. And uh, we started lobbying for, for years then to have, have rewards for Matt's remains increased because initially when Matt was first first killed, the first went missing, there was a reward out for $1,000. Mm. Now, how bloody insulting is that? $1,000. Um, and we fought for years to get the reward increased from 1000 to 100000 And I'll tell you that story as well because um, it was successful in that, but it took quite some time. Mm. And when it was increased to 100 the uh, we had a bit of a press conference with the police down at the media centre in the city. And this is the, the, the level of incompetence out of the Miranda Police Station. We were there with the then crime manager and the then police minister uh, and the media person from the police, waiting to go from a little ante room, waiting to go in front of all the cameras and the microphones and announced the big reward increase. And I was saying to the crime manager from Miranda, <clears throat> so what uh, What are you doing today? Are you, um, is somebody watching Atkins? Who lives then in Queensland? I said, somebody watching out can see you know, where he goes or who sees him or well, watching his phone to see who calls him or who he calls when this is all announced. He said, oh, no. Oh, I said, I, I understand. It's operational. You can't say. He said, no, no, no. We, we're not doing anything. And I lost it. I said, you fucking incompetent idiot. You fucking fool. Mm. And the police minister looked at me, looked at him and just shook his head. He couldn't believe it either. All the effort to to, to 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 not look at every opportunity to get information that they just, just did nothing. Then after that, we uh, went up to that point. We just kept looking at ourselves all the time, and you know we, we were using our own intel that we came from the police and other sources, and uh, you know we were checking records from the Department of Meteorology to know that on the night that I could dispose of Matt's body, we would have had a three quarters to seven eighths full moon, which is good light, uh, low cloud cover, temperature in the um, low twenties and no rain. So it's a good night to be out in the bush. And we'd go and look around the bush at about two o'clock in the morning in those when those conditions would occur. Mm. And that would give us our intel to what places we would come back to over daytime to to uh, look from that thoroughly more thoroughly and, and perhaps dig. We learned pretty quickly you had to do a dig a bit of a test dig everywhere you go because um, you couldn't tell if the ground was um, rooted by trees under, just under the surface or whether it was uh, soft sand and you needed somewhere that could be dug pretty readily. Some place there were rocks, couldn't dug at all, which you wouldn't tell for your for the matic in. Um, so we had our matic, we just did a test dig at all these little places to see what we could, we could find. And um, that was our, our life uh, for many a number of years just searching and we had our own our own timeline of, of um from Atkins leaving the club to Atkins to arriving at his job on the Monday morning and we worked in that period of the timeline we filled out in those details so we knew what periods couldn't be accounted for we had a kilometer reading on Matt's car from the previous week when it was found where we filled in the blanks where Matt's car had been traveling and we we had an unaccounted for set of kilometres that gave us the search radius and we applied that, that was our search methodology. After a gruelling trial and heartbreak at every turn, the Levisons had nothing. Matt was still missing. They wanted so desperately to bring him home. Their unconditional love for Matty spurred Faye and Mark on a very morbid quest. 
they knew his body must be lying somewhere in Royal National Park, a 150 kilometre square parcel of land. For 10 years, they would regularly visit the park and look for their son. For hours upon hours, they combed the sprawling bushland for the remains of their beautiful mat. It sounds horrific, but as Mark says, they just had to bring him home. Our concern was we didn't want to die and, and leave this problem for other two boys, for Matt's brothers, because they would have looked as well, and, and they did look. So we, 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 we made our mission to not leave this problem for them. But what spurred you on to just keep searching other than that? It's just the love of a we often, get, we, often, we often get asked that, but we, 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 giving up was just never, never, never considered. To have zero closure for close to 10 years, did it get any easier as the years went on or did it just get harder? No, it, some aspects get worse and, and a lot of press and particularly at the corruption and other places outside courts use that word, if you get Matt, you'll have closure. To us victims, it's the most disgusting C word in the English language. Mm. Um, closure to us is Matt, not, Matt, Matt knocking our front door saying, I'm sorry I haven't have run. That's closure. Um, nothing less. That's our standard. So, we'll, you know, we were hoping for resolution, for justice, for answers, but we knew we were never going to get closure, ever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I guess for someone that's never been through what you've been through, the word closure is just... Yeah, oh, it's, it. it's banded around in the press every day, every second day. It's yeah. a it's a well-meaning word, um, but it's to a victim, it um, it ain't too pleasant. Yeah, and you guys advocated hard for so long to bring this back to the court as well. To yeah, get him well, on the witness not, 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 not just the court. We advocated to get the case reinvestigated. Yeah, and um, reinvestigated and and to push for a coronial inquest. Now, an inquest had been started uh, before the trial. But once Atkins was arrested, the work on that inquest uh, was suspended, mm. seeing it went, went to trial. And we went to police headquarters and saw the then head of homicide, and me with him and two senior detectives, one being Gary Jubilin, and they were going to take on the case again and look, look at what they, could, what they could do. So after that that meeting, a year went by, because Gary had left the force for a year, and... Um, the detective that was left there in charge did sweet FA. Uh, we sent things to him, we never heard back. And uh, after you Gary and come back and inquired what, a, what progress had been made, when he found out that nothing had been done, he took it on. And uh, from that point, Gary rolled on with the case. And uh, they had a breakthrough in the case that they, because at that point, Gary being new to us and us new to him, he didn't know he could trust us. So he couldn't tell us all the detail they had. There was a major breakthrough in the case where, um, and they were, were going across to Canada for a week two of the detectives on the, on the new strike force of four people. And um, once I said Canada, we knew it involved Matt uh, Atkins' ex-partner, mm. who had now moved to Canada, living over there. We didn't know what it was, but we knew we had to, we had to be involved. So um, when they came back from Canada, they said, we can tell you what it was now. And um, Faye and I were in the car on hands-free, and Gary was in his office with with uh, a, forensic, a forensic profiler from the police talking to us and uh, Atkins has confessed to killing Matt uh, on his Facebook page to Matt's ex, Atkins' ex-partner. And we said, hang on, what are you talking about? And they said, well, on his Facebook page called uh, called Nike Boy. We said, no, that's a fake page. That's, that's not Atkins. Mm-hmm. And then there's silence on the the phone. And uh, they insisted with him. We said, no, it's not. That's, that's a fake one. That's that. I might the guy's name. It's a clown down the south coast who's been interfering the investigation because he brings all the libbies out. He's in the investigation over the years and does that. That's him. Because 
the lax police hadn't acted on this confession early on, under the statute of limitations for public mischief, this had exceeded its time, so they could even charge the guy. Mm. Who, so I guess they're embarrassed by the uh, the fact that they'd been led, led down the garden path, mm. and uh, which is good because in a way it spurred them on, and they got stuck into it and uh, realised they could trust us more, work with us more, and gave us more detail, and uh, we got more detail for them as well, and and we passed the information readily to each other and uh, decided the best thing to do would be go to inquest. It took a lot of fighting, but by December 2015, eight years since Matt was seen alive, an inquest into his death was held. The police interview with Atkins is played, as well as the CCTV footage of him at Bunnings. More startling evidence was revealed as Atkins finally took the stand to testify. Because it was an inquest, nothing he said during these proceedings could be used against him in any future criminal trial. With Mark and Faye sitting in the room, Atkins told the court he believed Matt might be living in Thailand and admitted he held a tiny bit of hope he might come home. He told Matt's parents he's sorry if he is gone, but denied ever killing him. It was here Matt's parents were faced with an unimaginable decision. They called it the deal with the devil. In exchange for absolute immunity, Atkins would show them where Matt's body was. In the 16, early 17, we decided that we were going nowhere. We, we wanted Atkins to testify. Mm. So the police approached us and, um, you know, the sting that tell is under, under Section 61 of the State Coroner's Act is that uh, if a person is compelled to testify in the court, nothing they say can be used against them in a future criminal trial for murder or manslaughter for that, that testimony. So we had to wear that. Our goal was always to get Matt back. You know, bagger Atkins, if we couldn't charge him, at least we might get Matt back. So that was the hope. Atkins, Atkins um, had right to appeal that, and he didn't. He, he went to the Supreme Court to appeal that uh, that um, complaint to testify. That took more months to uh, time to get all that sorted out, which he, he lost his appeal, and uh, um, he was compelled to take the stand. And uh, um, in his testimony, uh, the first few days, the police, the, the, the counsel for the coroner, who asked most of the questions in court, uh, was quite cordial and polite to Atkins, asking questions and accepting what, what he was saying. As the week went on, by the Wednesday to Thursday, he was being challenged more and more. So he'd, he'd give an answer and say, hang on, Monday you said this, or in evidence we have that. And they were sort of questioning what he was saying, putting more pressure on it. And the pressure rose right through the week. And on about the Thursday, Friday lunchtime, they'd had enough. And, and they said, we're going nowhere with this. And uh, uh, they decided to, we might come back in the afternoon with a closed court. So it's the few legal people, the coroner and a few others so that you might be more open and more willing to discuss what's going on. We hummed and had hummed and went on for all afternoon back and forth with, with legal people and uh, at five to four we went back into court. Well, court finished at four o'clock and the coroner said, well, we'll reconvene next, I think it was Tuesday. So after that court convened or closed for the day, we uh, uh, adjourned for the day, we were discussing more and more whether he'd be offered a deal if he gave up Matt's body because he had, he had admitted to to lying to the court and lying to the police. So he's gone for perjury. He's gone for perjury and contempt of court, which carries a sentence of maximum 10 years. Uh, so if he was convicted because he involved murder and gone so long, he would have got close to the top, we were hoping. So that the next deal was struck that if he gave us Matt's remains, he wouldn't be charged with contempt of court or murder up to anything he said on the Friday he was testifying. And um, 
we had a phone call from the then Attorney General. She rang us one night at home to confirm that uh, that she that we understood the ramifications of what we were getting into, and we said yes. And uh, she spoke to Faye mum to mum, all clear on what was going on, and uh, we agreed to that deal. And Acton's counsel came back and said, "Look, we we because uh, um, in, in in the back of Faye's in my mind, we think we'll get this bastard interfering with the corpse because at least that, that's two years in prison." Mm. So um, that didn't bother us one little bit. So the, let's let's have a go at that. And uh, but then we, we were told the following week that um, Atkins counsel had come back to the coroner and said, "Look, we'll, we will give you details, and that's location that remains on the prize where Atkins is charged with nothing. He's exempt from all charges." Now we didn't know that deal. Um, I guess if we didn't know, we still would have taken it, but we weren't privy to that that one being done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it went. And then Atkins was uh, gave police what's called a compelled compelled statement. Uh, sorry, sorry, an induced statement, and um, and in that he gave the location where he disposed of Matt. Uh, he claims Matt died of a drug overdose, and he found him dead. Um, yet in Atkins' other testimony, he said Look, Matt was always careful with drugs. He would never never free poor, never take more than he should. Um, and, you know, he's had 10 years to think of a story to cover his tale. So we have no doubt in our mind at all that he's had a big hand in Matt's death. Uh, Matt wasn't just found dead, like he says. And, and Atkins drew two sketches in his induced statement. One sketch of the scene where he placed Matt's remains, he thought, and one sketch of the bedroom where he claims he found Matt's body. Now, if you overdose from GHB, you're likely to go into respiratory arrest and just pass away and go to sleep. Um, he's drawn Matt near the door of the bedroom, way away from the bed, with his head facing away from the bed. So what he doesn't realise, he's drawn a struggle. Mm-hmm. So if his second sketch is to be believed, he's actually drawn a struggle, not like Matt passed away from a drug overdose. So everything he said, nothing he can say can be believed. He's a, he's a compulsive liar. But this induced statement had one fact and one fact only that was testable. The location of Matt's remains. Nothing else could be checked out because Matt had been on the ground too long to check out any of the stories about drug overdose or of that nature. So um, nothing else in that was was possibly able to be checked. Um, during that, that the, the first search for Matt, um, we, <clears throat> pardon me, searched eight days in the National Park mm-hmm. and all the, the police searched eight days in the National Park. We dealt with National Park staff and um, forensic people and uh, um, you know, dogs. There's a big team there looking for Matt. And um, he wasn't to be found. They'd gone well, well beyond Rackham's thought that might have been. And um, no luck. So they tried to apply Atkins' st- facts in, in his induced statement mm. to the same, because he insisted we're on the right road, to the same road, but they found a site further down where these, fa- these facts could have fitted in. Um, they dug a second site for four and a half days, again, no Matt. And the police were concerned that if they didn't find Matt, Atkins would be still charged with, with perjury and kept the court. Um, but his counsel could say to police in defence, look, you guys are incompetent. You didn't search hard enough. He's there. You just didn't find him. So they decided to search the first crime scene again. Mm. And um, that was done using a wider backhoe bucket and searching from different directions. So all the trenches are all cross-dug and nothing's left un- untouched. And on the eighth day of that third search, uh, you know, we only had about two hours to go on the cranial scene warrant, and um, 
probably about three quarters an hour of ticking time for the two back hoes that were going. One of the detectives assisting uh, Gary um, decided to just look under a small palm, which they hadn't disturbed before, and uh, so they picked it out of the ground, and I just said to the folks, I saw it come out of the ground, I just said to the folks, that's a nice-looking palm, it's just a nice shape, that looked nice in our yard, and she just laughed and said, yeah, yeah, it would. Um, and they put it aside, and um, they, you know, they're very, with the backhoes, they're incredibly skilled and careful, and they scrape off tiny layers at a time, and um, then they called Gary across where they were, and um, which is common, they often confer what's going on, and uh, yeah. Gather, have a little chat, and uh, Gary walked over us and said, "We've got him. We found Matt." And uh, Matt was under that palm tree, about sixty centimetres down, and uh, we had no DNA at that stage, but we didn't need it because um, Matt was last seen wearing a Morgan singlet, a black Morgan singlet. Now Matt's remains were just skeletal, um, but the Morgan singlet, all the clothing had gone, but it was the word Morgan was across the chest diagonally with two red stars in plaster size. Plasters of lettering. So we found the letters G, A, M, R, O, and so and where it's red star. So it was all there. Uh, so we knew it was Matt without any doubt at all. How did it feel to know that you'd finally found him? <sighs> Bittersweet, of course. You know, Faye had the back of her head all the time. You know, without Matt's body, he, one day he just might might come home. And, of course, this is just, just put a full stop that sentence. Unfortunately, it was just not, not possible. And... Uh, um, at least we, we had we had some answers, some answers, not all answers, some answers. And uh, um, um, then, yeah, Matt was very, very carefully, very carefully excavated uh, the next few days by friends and people and uh, taken away what, what we, we call like a big pizza box um, off to the morgue. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, brought out by friends and people and uh, they had forensic anthropologists down there. And like I said, them get archaeologists with, with the, the, the brushes and things and just the small trowels and uh, being very careful to keep up without damaging anything that they found in the, in the ground. Mm. And the DNA came back and it, it was... Oh, uh, yeah, the, the, DNA, the DNA came back on the, on the channel to confirm what we knew anyway, but that, yeah. that did just, uh, yeah. That was, that was the, legal, the legal confirmation. On May 31st, 2017, nearly 10 years after Matt vanished from Ark Nightclub, a lone voice called out during the bush search. We've got him. Buried underneath a palm tree in Royal National Park, Matt's remains were found. A decade on, Matt was finally removed from his bush grave and back to his family, where he belonged. Mark and Faye had literally walked past that very palm so many times during their own searches. Now, they were bringing him back. On March 9th, 2018, the Levisons were able to celebrate Matt's life with a funeral. It's a day Faye, Mark and Matt's brothers never thought would come. Yeah, we had, had Matt's funeral and, and, and um, the people at, at the Boronoa Memorial Garden or Memorial Park were so good with us and uh, um, we had no idea how many would get come along to the funeral because it was just, there was whether we'd get family, friends, the public come along and we got a, a lot. They, they filled up two chapels outside, there was TVs outside to broadcast a service and uh, it was, it was a, well, I call it a good day. It was a celebration day. It was unlike a funeral because Matt had been, we met it past, you think about 12 years earlier. So it wasn't anything new to us. It was just a, um, yeah, that, that, that raw hard grief was, was not, not past, but it wasn't, wasn't fresh. So it was a, it was, it was, to me, it was a, it was a great day. That's right. And um, why do you think so many people were so drawn to this story and, and to Matt and his life? I, I can't tell you. I really can't tell you. Uh, we just just us doing what, what parents do. Um, so as to what 
what sparked interest. I mean, these days, so I, I, I guess I'm more attuned to crime stories because of, I'm not sure because they're more popular now because of what's happened in that, but I, I watch other things on, on, um, Online, I, I, I listen to a lot of, lot of the, the, the true crime podcasts throughout there now as well. Uh, I don't know why I'm drawn to them too. It's just to me, it's just interesting. Yeah, that's all right. And just one last question for you, Mark. I know you've been speaking mm. a lot, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for right. delving into that. What do you want people to remember about Matt? Ooh. The fact that a killer's walking free. Um, that a person who's taken our son's life now is as free as you and I, living in Queensland, um, living under a rock because no one can find him. I know he's alive because um, if he wasn't, the police would have told us I'd have to be a suspect. Um, but um, there's been no word of that, so he's up there somewhere. Um, yeah, Matt's legacy, though, is that uh, – um, and it's a sad one, too, is that uh, um, we see Matt's friends, uh, Matt's wonderful, loyal friends who are all growing up and growing older, yet Matt's frozen at 20. Um, what would Matt be doing now? Where would he be? Would he be living in Australia? Would he be living overseas, which he said he wanted to do? Uh, would he be, what sort of car would he be driving? Who would his partner be? Um, yeah, those questions we'll never, ever have answers to. Yeah, a life snuffed out too soon, all those endless possibilities. That's ex- exactly, exactly, that's right. Yeah. Beautifully said, Mark. Really, really, honestly, thank you so much for oh, that's, going that's through that and reliving all that. I know it's hard. No, it's not. It's, it's not hard at all because yeah. um, it's all about Matt. So to us, that's, that's easy. It's yeah. not a problem at all. Michael Atkins has since told police he believes Matthew Levinson overdosed on drugs and he buried his body because he was worried about his reputation. Due to the state of Matt's remains, a coroner could not determine a cause of death. Atkins has not been criminally convicted. We are not suggesting he is a killer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And if you have a story which needs further investigation, please get in touch at newidea at pacificmagazines.com.au. I'm April Glover. I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.